house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. your commitment to each other are an example to be followed. Word got out to the Archdiocese. You've all known this whole time that Ben and I have been living together. The decision is effective immediately. Now, we invited you all here today because, well, your family. With my private lessons and Ben's pension, we need a place to stay. Talking about this, I'm the only one with the extra bedroom. No, it's not about that, Mindy. It's Poughkeepsie. Hello, and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast with its own table at the Algonquin Hotel. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my nice boy on a skateboard, Joe <laughs> Reed. Uh, as in the film, I am noticeably older than you, and uh, people are suspicious of that. So, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I thought you forgotten. were going to say, as in the film, you are just softly sobbing in a stairwell somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the skateboard friend, so I'm, uh, I'm... Oh, but you're the nice boy. I, I meant the other. I meant oh, the you one. meant the other boy. You Well, he's not very nice until the very end. I don't know about that kid. I think he's just a teenager. I think... I That's think, true. I think the movie has as much grace for him as it has for all of its He's characters. got enough problems not in, like, in not being Lucas Hedges and having feelings about that, because, like, he's so close to being Lucas Hedges at that age, and, like... It's just not happening for him, and you got to give him some leeway for that because that's got to be emotional for for such an such a impressionable teen. <laughs> that's what I, I kept thinking of. I was just like, "Well, how old would Lucas Hedges have been? He would have been halfway between Moonrise Kingdom and Manchester by the Sea at this point, which like sure. puts him so probably the exact age, of right? That age, right? Exactly. So I don't know. Casting fucked up on that one. Lucas um, Hedges also fine. not in Little Men, which seems feasible <sighs> little men i watching this movie again and i love this movie i love love is strange um and i like what's the current one that i keep wanting to call uh passengers passages, passages. um little men is my favorite iris Axe movie i have i have now settled on and decided it's so good I want. I just i love it so much um passages is so deeply my thing that i could give it time and i it could be i'm sure this i like i like and respect passages there is a wall between me and passages in that i just have such a visceral bone deep antipathy for the main character that i just see those are the type of characters i you know get fascinated with i don't i don't think he's a bad character i think he's a good character and i think what he does successfully is make me fucking hate him and i also (laughs) kind of hate adele exarchopolis so like that's you hate her too yes 
for fuck's sake, I hate her. Okay, let's Shut just get into it. Up. We're we're talking about Iris Axe's Love is Strange because yeah. Iris Axe's Passages is coming out uh this coming weekend in limited release. Thank you, movie. Uh yeah. Okay. I love this movie. I've loved it even more since I've seen it and thought about it. Further. I have not an ounce of sympathy for her character. I think is where I come down in that movie. Not a not a speck of sympathy for her character. I guess my mind just doesn't even go to that place. I just think they're all really interestingly, you know, developed. I think so too. But I also like I I can't put my emotions aside. Like I can intellectually appreciate that movie, but like on an emotional level, I'm like fuck you, fuck boy, and it's fuck because you, you for you are such a like card carrying member of the Ben Wishaw army you are ready Guilty. to defend him at all costs Guilty. you have yes. you have a a limit why would you cheat your... on Ben Wishaw why would you break up Ben Wishaw's you know perfectly dysfunctional marriage and and the both of them can go fucking raise their demon spawn child in seclusion for all i care uh well i mean you could look at that at it that way, or you could look at it as Ben Wishaw is being, uh, through painful means, perhaps, um, put on a better path than with this asshole. The great thing about Passages is it's a great movie about an asshole. Yes, and and I you don't just mean movie. the sex scene; you mean. Uh, uh... <laughs> I, I could did not, not. I didn't I, mean that. I, I know not. you couldn't resist. No, that's I not what I meant. Not. I did not think about the words coming out of my mouth. Um, no, maybe, but, I, maybe I should just like put that as my next letterbox log or something. It's a great maybe movie that should be the movie's tagline. Let people think it means whatever they think it means. Yeah, yeah. Don't give. Uh, we'll cut that. We'll cut that part out so that when you do it, people will be. Uh, uh, no, 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 Surprised. no. I won't. I, I'm sure I'm going to have a million other things to say other than um, uh, 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 that sex scene, though I would love to write about that sex scene. But as um, much as I would like to be this very sort of, you know, um, um, uh, hard ass when it comes to appreciating movies, I do tend to own the fact that all things being equal, I will lean towards the movie that makes me feel good versus the movie that makes me feel angry and passages is a very good movie that nonetheless by the end of the movie i'm like my fists are in little balls of rage because i'm just like that fucking guy um (laughs) and then at the end of little men i have little like hearts like bursting over my head so you know well see i think this is the thing about iris axis he makes you care so much yeah maybe like i think the thing that we uh learned about him from passages is it's not like care as in empathy about his characters but like we get invested in them he makes them into these fully fleshed human beings in these actual you know real life circumstances that are more complicated in the way that like life is actually complicated sure sure this and i would say little men and pieces of his other movies are like you know the comp the complexity of living and the way like economic means changes our uh ability to uh live or continue i think i have a lot more uh endemic sympathy for 
somebody who's living in New York, who's getting older, and who's finding themselves priced out of the city that they love, versus um, heedless fuckboy filmmaker bisexual. You know what I mean? Like, none of those things, none of those things apply to my life. So uh, perhaps I'm having a failure of empathy there. But um, all good movies. Like, I have, this is not a, this is not in any way a slight on Iris Axe. Um, I haven't, it's interesting, we've, we're going to talk about his filmography a little bit later, but I only really hopped on to his movies, as I think a lot of people did, with Keep the Lights On, which was the movie immediately previous to Love is Strange. And that was a movie that got, like, some, I think that also had in uh, Sundance Heat, or I remember having some sort of, like, advanced indie, like, uh, you know, the word was out mm-hmm. about that movie before I saw it. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, that's good. And that's another movie where it's kind of hard to like, harder to like those characters. And then, but I appreciated it. And then Love is Strange comes along and I'm like bowled over and blown mm-hmm. away. And it's just like, oh, wow. Like this is, uh, and once again, the weekend lawnmowers are just never going to leave us alone. I literally cannot podcast. hear your lawnmowers. You'll hear it. You when have you phantom lawnmowers. The no, ghosts you'll hear in it your when parents' you house to the are all, um, you know, all they do in this care. neighborhood. They don't do anything except mow lawns. I, 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 I fully believe that they just like mow lawns, and then the next day they mow is the it lawn like again. the old timers in the neighborhood on like riding mowers, where like they're not even no. ri- they're not even mowing their grass. They're just like, they're just you know, going, going for a little for trip, a stroll. You know, no, the lawns aren't big busy. enough. The lawns aren't big enough for riding mowers. They're pretty like they're pretty you know tidy, tidily sized little lawns. Um, well, it's be done soon. Well, but again, this is what I, this is the, this is the frustration. Why aren't they done sooner than they are? Anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, what was I going to say? Love is Strange. Oh, so the Love is Strange comes along and it kind of ticks just a lot of boxes, right? It's this like really well written, generous, empathetic indie movie. It's also like a gay movie about, really just well-drawn characters who are not, you know, don't fit into these little um, stereotypical boxes or, like, don't seem to be provoking um, discourse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In a way where it's just, like, we didn't have any, like, tempest in a teapot about, like, you know, is Nick Robinson sufficiently swishy as Love, Simon? You know what I mean? Like, I know that mm-hmm. came later, but it just felt like uh, there's you. You know what I'm talking about when I talk no, about no, 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 no. Um, it. It it you know it doesn't invite any type of. Agita. I don't want to use the word trivial, but like you know, trivial debate about right. this movie. Right. It sort of transcends that in a way that I appreciate. And I should say that the movies that invite that kind of like somewhat annoying debate also are generally worth it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Are generally better than the discussion <laughs> that they provoke. But this one was just sort of like, oh, I don't even have to go through that. Oh, I don't even have to have the like, why are we doing another coming out story? You know, uh, Discourse. You're making fun of me at this point, basically. No, we all do it. I do it too. You know what I mean? We yeah. all do it. Um, and and this sort of is about something. It's a it's a movie that's 
about a gay couple and it's and it doesn't like make that incidental but it's also mm-hmm. like about that and also the fact that it's increasingly hard for you know people to you know live and and afford things and get by on a salary of a music teacher and a painter <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, like it's about the difficult, it, it, you know, it deals with a lot of the difficulties of life as people actually live them. Uh And I think, you know, there's things that a lesser movie would make be the movie, like Alfred Molina's character getting fired. He has the, he, you know, has this rebuttal to John Cullum as the, like, you know, principal head you know, priest, whatever, at this yeah. Catholic school. And, like, it's in the first 15 minutes of this movie, but I think in a different movie, a more maybe mainstream or, a you know, not as interesting movie, that's, like, the climactic monologue, right? right. But there's or so much like, actual, like, right. business of how they're going to have to live their lives now that they're, mm-hmm. you know... Even Finances the stuff with disrupted. the family, with the extended family, like it's you—you you don't have this big sort of climactic argument between Marissa Tomei and her husband, whose name of the actor I can never remember, and his sister, who is something else. In this movie, <laughs> we're going to talk about fucking Mindy and Poughkeepsie at some point because. Uh, Oh my god. And then Mindy I, who is very much like, "No, I want to be the person who gets to take them in." And it's uh, like, "No. No you. one wants to go to Poughkeepsie, lady. Like, sorry." Um It's a good movie. It's a good, good movie. movie. Where what was your experience of this movie? I imagine you uh so I saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival. I didn't so get like, to see it until I saw it at home. And of course, I completely fell in love with it immediately. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I've been in love with Ira Sachs' movies ever since. Like, I, yeah. I really, really fell hard for Little Men. Uh, as I was recently on the Can I Kick It podcast defending it, I feel... Um, until the rest of the Can I Kick It gang saw it, too, because they're on my side. I felt like the mo- the world's only defender of that movie. Um, Did people not like it? I f- was it I got just really bad reviews at Cannes. Like, Little Men? Flat out un- no, Frankie. Oh, fr- you, you said Little Men. Um, right, but I was talking about Frankie. Oh, sorry, sorry, um, sorry, sorry. You're talking about Frankie, which I still haven't seen. Okay, so I am part of the problem. Frankie, yeah. which is a great movie, really unfairly received and i think partly because it is even more modest than most of iris axe's uh later movies are and it was in can competition you know i think people were unfair to that movie because of you know how it arrived in the world it takes Um, place in like portugal or something right yes yes yeah yeah okay um that's nice exquisite movie um also very much about you know the uh, a movie that has a circumstance that could be way more dramatic that could be or like finger quotes uh mainstream dramatic but yeah. the things that it actually jumps off of and the things that it you know does show about how we live our lives are much more delicate and interesting than i think you know the more mainstream version of that movie would be yeah um yeah i've seen all of his features 
I love all of them. I need to see Keep the Lights On again, because my initial reaction to that movie, I didn't love it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that thing was pretty divisive when it came out. I think there were certain people who thought it was this kind of bracing and um, sort of fascinating gay story. A lot of people had a really hard time with the one actor, the younger of the two, who had played... Glenn Close's son in Damages was the only other thing that I had remembered him from, the one who plays the drug addict in in the film. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. people did not care for that performance. Um, I, did, I had less of a problem with that. I thought it was a pretty good movie, but sort of never leaps past a certain barrier that, like, that Love is Strange and, and Little Men definitely did for me. So, yeah. Worth a look back, though. That's a good point. I should see it again. Um, but I'm excited to talk about this one. I'm talking yeah. to talk about Love is Strange. Certainly, you know, his most awards-recognized movie, yes. fingers crossed until Passages. I uh, feel like, you know, I wouldn't hold your breath, not likely, <laughs> but I'll be beating the fa- Franz Rogowski drum all year long. Um, so to my speak. favorite Franz Rogowski performance. Yeah. Um, in what is going to be a very exciting career. Uh, but today, we are here to talk about Love is Strange, written and directed by Ira Sachs, co-written by his screenwriting partner, Mauricio Zacharias, starring John Lithgow, Alfred Molina, Marissa Tomei, Charlie Tahan, Darren Burroughs, Cheyenne Jackson, Harriet Sampson Harris, for not enough screen time, being you know. that she is exquisite in everything christina kirk adrian lennox and john cullum the movie premiered at sundance 2014 and then opened in limited release we will get into it august 22nd of 2014 indeed joe are you ready to give a 60 second plot description for love is strange no i'm not but let's just do it anyway i'm not prepared but we'll wing it well then you're gonna start winging it now Okay, so uh, John Lithgow and Alfred Molina play Ben and George. They are a, a gay couple of 39 years together who finally get married and uh, then go on a honeymoon. And because of the visibility of them on their honeymoon, they sort of uh, uh, force the hand of the Catholic school that George works for into firing him for bullshit Catholic reasons. And so he's out of a job and they can no longer afford their... Uh, apartment that I think is in the village and so 30 seconds uh, they have to sell the place and George goes to live with their friends their young cop hot cop friends uh, uh, Cheyenne Jackson and and his boyfriend and then Ben goes to live with Marissa Tomei uh, and his uh, his nephew who is married to Marissa Tomei and they have a teenage kid who uh, he sleeps in the the same bunk beds with him and it's awkward and uh, it's hard to live with uh, people and it's hard to not have an actual home base and be separated from your husband. And um, uh, Ben is sort of an annoying house guest and he paints on the roof and uh, Marissa Tomei is losing her patience with him and then he falls down the stairs and uh, hurts his shoulder and he's got heart problems and then he and Alfred Molina have lovely drinks at Julius and things seem like they're going to be okay and then flash forward, Ben has died and Alfred Molina has found a place and the shitty teen who was sort of mean to uncle ben um brings the painting over that he was painting on the roof at the end and then he like has a date minutes? with a nice young lady 
<laughs> yes, that's right. They go on a, they go on a, a skateboarding date. That's cute. A nice 95 minute lean running time that yeah. took you 40 seconds over your 60 second plot. That's cuz I wasn't prepared. This is I I need, I need to I I need to especially with a movie like this where there's a lot of parts of it that you want to mm-hmm. uh, I could have tightened that up. That's my bad. That's my so, bad. So this movie comes out in 2014, which, like, just to, like, place it somewhat historically, 2014, before uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruling, uh, before Obergefell, uh basically, or is it this? No, it's before Obergefell. Because that's, what, 2015, uh, right? Correct. Remember when the Supreme Court, you know, gave us good news? I mean, and, you know, gave Chris, people rights. We're going to talk about it, but watching this movie, we're listeners. You're getting this one several weeks after we're recording it, but we're recording this one uh, mere days after the Supreme Court ruled that um, made-up website developers, <laughs> website designers, can like make up an entire uh, legal case without having any standing and have it strike down any non-discrimination laws in this country against LGBTQ people. So that's fun. Um, so watching Alfred Molina's character get fired from his job as a music teacher at a Catholic school. Where they fu- they found it out through Facebook, mind you. Is that what it was? I knew that it was be- from their photos Facebook. from their honeymoon. Yeah. Um, but they had known that he had been gay and had a partner all this time, but now that, you know, uh, he'd become just a little bit too visible and that was a no, no. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, wow. Like it, it, it's not like people needed extra help to be able to discriminate against gay people in, in this country and in this life. So congratulations, Supreme Court, you've done it again. Um, so it was hard to watch it through that lens. It was also harder to watch it for me, and I'm going to make it all about me for a second. But <laughs> watching this movie on the other side of having to leave New York City because I was priced out of the apartment market there was not fun. Um, not not fun. It was, you know, bittersweet and wistful. This is a you know, really sort of lovely movie, and this is a movie that I think gets to a lot of the realities. I will say there were certain moments in this movie, and I think they're probably meant to be a little, like, make you raise an eyebrow, but there's a moment where Cheyenne Jackson's... Uh, someone Harriet Sansom Harris is like, oh, the condo, it's so hard to rent a condo in the city. And Cheyenne Jackson's like, oh, not anymore. And I'm like, oh, really, officer, gay, lover boy? Like, whatever, mm-hmm. like, fuck you. Um, and just sort of the the realities of... And I know that this is a very, you know... Not everybody lives in New York, and not everybody wants to hear about what it's like to live in New York. And this I is understand. not just a New York thing. This is a nationwide thing. I mean, even in the city I live in, it, it's yeah. like, you know, we're just constantly twiddling our thumbs, staring at each other, that it's like, how long until uh, we can't live here anymore? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's frustrating. And then the other, the other thing about this movie that I think is really smart, and I think it's it's probably the central emotional crux of the movie, or at least one of them, is that we talk about chosen family and we talk about support networks. And they are fantastic. Support networks are necessary. And they are, you know, they give you a, a soft place to land and they give you, you know, emotional support and they they help make your life your life. And yet, there is a a baseline sort of autonomy and 
security and privacy that comes with being both having the social capital and the economic uh, independence to live on your own. You know what I mean? That there is, it's wonderful that this couple has family and friends there to support them. And this movie doesn't deny that, but it also is sort of clear eyed about the fact that like, these are imperfect solutions and, and we should be providing I mean, this is not a movie that's like a social social screed, but I'm going to make a better it a movie for not bit. being it. But I feel like it, it is. Makes, it, it allows for a more intelligent conversation and a more empathic conversation about things like elder housing yes. and like Thank elder. You. That's what I'm getting. You know, at. support yeah. in communities and you know. Yeah, yeah. That these people. It's wonderful that they have these people looking out for them, and yet. John Lithgow sleeping on a bunk bed and Alfred Molina is sleeping on a couch in a house that seems to never go to sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, these people who are there for them are wonderful. And yet like the, ab- the, the, the lack of an ability to just like go, I've lived with roommates my whole life. So it's not like I've ever like known the joy of like living truly alone. Um, but the ability to have a door that you can close mm-hmm. and you are in your own You space. do not have to share that door. <laughs> right. You don't have to share that door. You know, Also, we're going to talk about Marissa Tomei and her husband's apartment in this uh, movie where all the doors seem to have windows on them, which <laughs> makes me crazy. Like, was this a converted That to me sounds school? like a creative choice like it does but yeah, it's a, like, it's an insane one who would want to live like that um <laughs> but just the the people the, who don't want to have any type of sexual activity yeah but like the like you know what i mean like what they lose in this movie by not being able to make their own sort of make their own space for themselves is this isn't a traumatic movie. This isn't a movie about trauma, but it's about like how destabilizing that is. Mm-hmm. So for everyone involved too, because yeah. it's like, again, like I feel like I just keep repeating this idea. A lesser movie would do X, mm-hmm. you know, the act of taking in this couple separately, but still taking them in. Yeah. You know, that would be the climactic emotional decision of a less interesting movie. Yeah. And in this movie, we get, oh, this isn't really ideal. For Melina, it's like, it's less ideal for him. Cheyenne Jackson is just, like, playing board games and throwing parties and, like, seems fully undeterred by this. But yeah, yeah. you look over at Lithgow as Ben, who it's like, he... I think increasingly, as he becomes aware that his presence is creating disruption, you know, becomes more uncomfortable. But, like, it doesn't matter. He plays a man who could probably fall asleep anywhere, in any type of room, on any type of surface. They might have been better suited in each other's uh, opposite living situations, actually. And, like, him as a disruption is immediate to the son because he's sharing a bunk bed with an older gay man suddenly while he's a teenager and he can no longer be, you know, a Uh teenager who needs their own room. A teenager Um, who, like... Isn't having like queer feelings for his best friend, but is having those sort of like 
I I have a best friend, and I only have one best friend, and I've sort of invested a lot of my, you know, uh, emotional, like, teenage, weird teenage emotions mm-hmm. in this one friendship with this very aloof after not friend. really having friends. Right, after right, you find out later that the kid had had trouble having friends. So like uh, Joey is the kid. He's, you know, I was harsh on him earlier, but like you're right. He's, you know, he's going through a lot of really typical teenage stuff and at the same time then, he's got this older relative who's, you know, making himself at home and the thing that I love about this movie is um in giving everybody a plausible sort of degree of sympathy is it's not like John Lithgow's character is fucking who's I'm trying to think of like, I almost said uncle buck, but that's not quite the, the, like the, the archetype, but like, he's, he's not, not like the grandparents in Christmas vacation that thank you. That's perfect. That's perfect. He's not this like, Oh my God, what a nightmare. I can't believe we're going to have to like, in put up no with him. way an unpleasant person. And yet still the idiosyncrasies annoying to live with the idiosyncrasies of anybody will begin to wear on you when they are in your space and you have not like made the, like they make the active decision to take him in, but you know what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot to ask of somebody to have somebody else live with them and Mm -hmm. like, and disrupt your, and, and I think this movie gets that across so well. And that like, he's such a well-meaning person. He's such a kind person and sweet. And yet like, you totally sympathize with Marissa Tomei's character, who is being driven up the wall by this guy. My favorite non-romantic scene in this movie is her trying to write on her computer, and he's just sitting there talking to her, and he's like, you know, I really need my own space to make my art. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> really... Yeah. I can't really paint when somebody else is in the room. It's very distracting. And she just sort of, like, pauses. That scene's fantastic when he's going on and on about, like, you know my friend who's who has the art gallery. And she said she read your book. And she's and Marissa Tomei is literally like, uh-huh, wait, what? Who? Like, And she's, like, trying to be polite but is also trying to ignore him and, like, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how like to balance the two she's fantastic in this she's movie. tremendous in this movie like she really is. I, i'm pretty sure i would have placed her on my ballot this year and it's like I would have it's too. not any big show of drama i would even argue like her scenes in frankie require more um you know like typical things you would say well that's a great performance mm-hmm. this is a great performance because it's just like the ardor and the effort it sometimes takes to just be a decent person in this yes. life. Well, you and know, the f- and the f- not like she's trying to not be an asshole. She's just trying to be like decent in this and do her job and or and you know Yeah. But like you know We're introduced to her character time. making this very lovely mm-hmm toast at their wedding and the toast as much as it is about them and how wonderful they are is also like she mentions she was writing her first novel and she mentions opens the speech she opens the speech like this was back when i was writing my first novel and uh, half of the speech is about her and her husband and it's not doesn't make her a bad person it's not meant to make us sort of like be suspicious of her but it's in you know even in giving this toast to, you know, the the couple 
mm-hmm. of the hour here that we all have we all enter the world through our own perspectives and we all enter these relationships with other people primarily through our own perspectives and it's well and like in that speech she's like their love together formed my marriage and you right. know, formed my relationship and i do think that that like even if it looks self-serving when she's giving this speech it, yeah. like that is true about relationships like, it is you do kind of form your relationship sometimes in the you know yes. image of another relationship you know yes well and all the relationships in this movie are feel very honest in that way in that like these are all people who are very close but they are also themselves foremost you know what i mean we're like cheyenne jackson and his husband are not going to stop being younger or cops or you know a part of a sort of a louder social circle and that's not going to stop just because george is living there and so they've offered george their couch and through this you know act of kindness George ends up feeling like the old fuddy-duddy who, you know, everybody is, you know, decades younger than him and he just wants some peace and quiet. And I really, this time around especially, I felt this real visceral, like, oh, he can't even go anyplace just to be quiet. He just can't, Mm -hmm. like, and you start wondering, like, what would you, like, would I just, like, go and see movies all day until it was safe to come back home and go to sleep on the couch like what would i do where would i go and in this big city to have a moment's peace to myself you know what i mean there's the moment where he shows up back at uh at uh kate and what is his name what is her husband's name elliot thank you god Mm Uh, Kate and Elliot's house, which is where Ben is staying, and he just sort of walks in and collapses in tears on Ben's shoulder, and it's the most heartbreaking scene. And all it is is that he's exhausted. All it is is that he's, like, mentally so adrift that he can't, like, he just wants someplace to hang, to lay his head, and he, he finally finds it, you know, on his husband's shoulder. And it's heartbreaking but it's also just sort of incredibly relatable even if Mm -hmm. you are not married even if you are not you know in this kind of circumstance it's just like oh my god all he wants to do is just find some peace and when you get married you imagine that that's you know you've you found that you know Mm -hmm. peace after 39 years of them being together right um so He's fantastic in this. Can we talk about Elena for a second? Fucking rips in this movie. What so good? A great. I mean, I just love him as a performer. To me, this is almost the quintessential Alfred Molina performance. Yeah, Uh, straight men do not come at me and yell about Boogie Nights. Yes, I think he's amazing in Boogie Nights, but you know, Um, just because I feel like you did almost say Bussy Nights, and you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm just. That's this movie. That's passages. Uh, I mean, Bussy Nights is probably a thing that we, exists. Yeah, that's, I'm sure that is a um, .com video that we can <laughs> search out later. Jesus. 
Um, I want to talk about Molina's car- ca- uh, career arc, though, because yes, I... because he does not have an Oscar nomination. He still doesn't have an Oscar nomination. He's We talked about in our previous episode, Jennifer Jason Lee, who is one of those people who, like, for the longest time was, like, you know, best actor to never be nominated for an Oscar. And there are those lists of actors who have, you know, been around forever and never got Oscar nominations. Meg Ryan and John Cusack and... Donald Sutherland and all these people. Um, Molina's got to be on that list. And you, he sort of, his first ever film appearance, he's in a very small role in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then he breaks out in Britain, his native England. Uh, he's in a movie called Letter to Brezhnev. Uh, he's in 1987. He's in the film Prick Up Your Ears with uh, Gary Oldman, which is the Stephen Frears movie where they play a, a fairly volatile gay couple based on a real life uh, a playwright. Gary Oldman plays this playwright who was, uh, I believe, I've never seen the movie, but like I believe was murdered by uh, his lover, played by Alfred Molina. Um but it's not like this. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see the movie. Just knowing, uh, just only knowing it from a trailer, I should see it. He's in um, 1991. He is in the film Not Without My Daughter. Do you remember oh Not Without My Daughter? Sally Field marries an Iranian, I believe, who uh, and has a child with him, and then he won't allow her to leave the country after they s- split up with the daughter um and it's god i only saw it back in the days but i back in the day but i imagine it was not incredibly culturally sensitive um uh, and it sort no. of it's it also sort of underlines this very kind of fundamental thing about alfred molina where he's uh english uh, his father is Spanish. His mother is Italian. Mm-hmm. And in Hollywood algebra, what that adds up to is he can play any ethnicity. So he has played Spanish people and Greek people and Italian people and anything on the swarthy spectrum. He has played Arabs and he has played, you know, um, uh, any anywhere on the map that is... Uh, south of pale um he has been asked to play in a kind of a in a little bit of like a almost like a throwback to these sort of less enlightened days of hollywood where you know if you were italian you just played every uh, race and ethnicity that wasn't white and um it's interesting to sort of track that throughout his career and like even like semi recently where like he was in Whiskey Tango Foxtrot playing a uh an Arab person and um it's just interesting that that sort of <laughs> that kind of uh a complexion math still uh, still happens. Him and Kingsley. Him and Kingsley, that's true. Um that's a good point. So anyway, um in through the 90s, he's in like he's in Maverick, he's uh, in species, he plays a lot of like doctors for a while, like um, which is interesting <laughs> that one of his big roles was Doctor uh, Octavius in the Spider-Man movies. Um, but I remember him in Species. He's in the Perez family, playing um, 
Spanish or maybe Mexican. I can't remember where the Perez family takes place. Uh, the Mira Nair movie. Um, and then Boogie Nights, as you mentioned. He's mm-hmm. uh, this very small role, but it's like a very breakout role because it's an incredibly memorable scene where he's like coked out of his mind and they're trying to... Uh, it's <laughs> Mark Wahlberg and John he's C. So Riley are trying to make this like deal to get money and everybody's on way too many drugs and it's going to go bad. And is he the one who's throwing firecrackers at them or is yeah. the, uh, or is it his... might just be one of his henchmen. I forget. It's been a minute since I've seen Boogie yeah. Nights, but yeah. he's so good at it. Like he's top really good. He's, he's the one the who puts on uh sister Christian on the yes. stereo <laughs> and he starts singing along to sister Christian. That's what I remember. Um, So that's sort of the first thing that a lot of people really if you hadn't seen Prick Up Your Ears, you, that's the first thing you really noticed him in. Um, then that next year, he's on Broadway in the Yasmina Reza play Art, which he mm-hmm. gets a Tony nomination for. He loses to Anthony LaPaglia for Review from the Bridge, um, which if you had asked me whether Anthony LaPaglia has a Tony Award, I would not have said that that uh, was a factual statement. So that's... Though, if you say Anthony LaPaglia has a Tony Award, what's it for? Probably a view from the... <laughs> <laughs> fair. Fair. Um, Molina's... He plays Snidely Whiplash in Dudley Too Right. He's in... Uh, who was he in Magnolia? I can't remember. He's the one that... Um, he works... Is it a mattress store or something? He's Solomon Solomon who fires William H. Macy. He just has one. I knew he was part of the William H. Macy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Magnolia. Yeah. He has, okay, uh, well, here, I'll keep going and then I'll come back. Um, He's in Chocolat, uh, and then then, uh, his next big role is he's Diego Rivera in Frida, which should have been been his breakthrough Oscar nomination. He's a SAG nominee, he's a BAFTA nominee, he's a Critics' Choice nominee, and he ends up getting iced out by... Walken, kind of? I'm trying to think of who was, like, the number of... Ed Harris, I think maybe. that was the late-breaking yeah. one, yeah. Um, that same year, by the way, 2002, he uh, stars in a very short-lived CBS sitcom called Bram and Alice, which is just very funny that, like, while he was having his, like, biggest cinematic breakthrough success, he's in, like, a three-camera sitcom on CBS that lasted nine episodes called Bram and Alice. Um... He's in Identity, playing another psychiatrist. <laughs> he plays himself in Coffee and Cigarettes, the Jim Jarmusch movie. And then 2004, he's Dr. Otto Octavius in Spider-Man 2. So that's, like, obviously his biggest mainstream success. He is a both MTV Movie Award and Teen Choice Award nominee, both for Best Villain. So uh, good job there. Uh, and then that same year, once again, it's uh, he's on Broadway, as Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof gets a Tony nomination for that, loses to Hugh Jackman for is the Tevye boy from Oz. Is Tevya before he does Mark Rothko on Broadway? Yeah. Yep. Oh, why did yep. I think that was backwards? He might have done the Rothko thing off Broadway, and maybe, but like he doesn't like uh, Red isn't till 2010, so that's like several years later. Um, he's in an Education in 2009, which he gets another bunch of precursor awards. He's BAFTA nominated, Critics Choice nominated, M for G's nominates him for an Education. Um, is he her father? Who was he in an Education? I think he's the dad. I think he is. He's in Julie Tamor's The Tempest, which 
Well, we'll talk about The Tempest later. Um, <laughs> put a pin in The Tempest at some point. Not in this episode, but we'll talk about it. Um, he's in The Prince of Persia, playing, once again, uh, a character named Sheikh Amar. So uh, Hollywood shenanigans up again. 2010, as I said, he's uh, Tony nominated once more, his third Tony nomination for John Logan's play Red, where he's playing Mark Rothko. Uh, Eddie Redmayne wins the Tony for that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Molina loses the best actor, Tony, to Denzel Washington for Fences. Um, and then the same year as Love is Strange, 2014, he's in The Normal Heart on HBO, which had just previously been on Broadway, revived on Broadway. Um, he plays, uh, Mark Ruffalo plays the Larry Kramer uh, surrogate character, and then Molina plays his brother, his sort of... Uh, quasi homophobic uh at the very least like resistant to mm-hmm. uh, uh uh larry kramer uh the brother who i think he's quite good in that the next year he's also on hbo in show me a hero which was the well-reviewed but under recognized um mini series about city planning essentially starring uh Os- oscar isaac which was very good he shows up in Little Men, back with Ira Sachs, uh, briefly. He's in Betty and Joan. He's in Feud Betty and Joan in 2017, which is another TV thing where he gets an Emmy nomination, a Golden Globe nomination, a Critics' Choice nomination. So that's like a big one. He plays the director of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And then since then, he's played Ben Bradley in The Front Runner. We talked about that movie. He has an uncredited cameo in Promising Young Woman, where he's very good. Uh, he returns as Dr. Otto Octavius in Spider-Man No Way Home. He was, I thought, very good as a voice in uh, the Hulu comedy Solar Opposites, which is from the same now disgraced guy who did Rick and Morty. Um, but I think Solar Opposites is really good, unfortunately. Um, and then 2023, he was in that show Three Pines on Amazon Prime, which is one of those, oh, there's a thousand shows on TV and one of them is called Three Pines. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and that's that's up to present with Alfred Molina. Um, a lot of, like I said, he's he's been nominated kind of everywhere else, right? Emmy nominations, Tony nominations, SAG nominations. Uh, I guess the Globes have only nominated him once, and that's for feud. So, like the globes, maybe are part of the problem there in so many ways. Um, but <laughs> add that to the list. Add that to the list that they've run afoul of the uh, the Alfred Molina. What would the Alfred Molina fan club be called? Uh, um, the Fanlinas. Fam. <laughs> the Famlina. <laughs> you have run afoul of the Famlina. Um, so yeah, at some point the Oscars are gonna. I one would hope get figure their shit out he's so good he still is good he hasn't lost his touch um and he's incredible in love is strange where where are your thoughts what what jumps out to you from that uh, molina filmography what are your faves um i mean uh i mean i, I don't want to just do the cliche but it's this in boogie nights uh, i mean no also frida he's so good in frida um but this, I think, is just kind of his best performance, partly because of what I mentioned earlier, that it feels like, yeah, you know, it's just a showcase of the best things that he does, just, like, being these, like, 
graceful characters. I think the, you know, rebuttal to being fired is a great example. Uh, <laughs> I remember in our front runner episode, I was like, Melina is horrible in this movie. And it's because he's just like kind of overdoing it a little bit. Yeah. If that's the movie I was remembering, there was a movie that we watched. No, it might be secret in our in their eyes that I was. I like, think it was secret in their eyes because I think he's 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 pretty good in front runner. I don't think there's anything he has bad. a good. I mean, when he's at his best, like in this movie, I think he has a good measure of like what is where's the line of you know not mm. overdoing something. Um, yeah, and he's just he's just so sweet in this movie. I just want yeah. to. Give him a smooch and uh, tell him it will be okay. He was nominated for the Independent Spirit Award for this. This was one of the years where, like, the Independent Spirit Awards and the Oscars could have been the same thing. It really was so much all of its uh, All of its Indie Spirit losses, it loses to an Oscar nominee or an Oscar winner. That's the thing. Three of the four indie acting winners were the Oscar winners, and the fourth one was Michael Keaton, who, like, came this close to winning the Oscar. So, like... And even the nominees, like in Molina's category, he's nominated in Best Supporting Male. J.K. Simmons wins that, as he does at the Oscars. Edward Norton for Birdman and Ethan Hawke for Boyhood are nominated here, as they are at the Oscars. Riz Ahmed is nominated for Nightcrawler, which he was still too unknown at that time to get nominated for Nightcrawler, but Nightcrawler is also an Oscar nominee in screenplay. Um, and I'm trying to think who were where where did what were the two that the Oscars went for in 2014 that would have been um um help me not, out here. oh Ruffalo Ruffalo for Foxcatcher which would have and, been eligible and oh god it's Robert Duvall for the Judge which wouldn't have been eligible <laughs> um imagine thinking that uh, Robert Duvall is better than Alfred Molina. Uh, Robert Duvall and the Judge is better than Alfred Molina in this movie. Yeah, it's it's uh, unconscionable. Truly, yeah, I, I fuck all the way off. Uh, in a, in a week where judges have not done well by us, uh, Robert Duvall and the Judge <laughs> joins that list. Um, <laughs> there yeah. are seven horrible Supreme Court judges, and one of them is Robert Duvall in that movie. <laughs> God, can you imagine if he was on the Supreme Court in that movie? What uh, you know, we dog on the man, but I do actually, if I recall correctly, believe that he has left-leaning politics. Um, oh, Robert Duvall's a fantastic actor. Is the other thing we talk about? Oh, sure, some sure, of his sure, sort of later, sure. like, but like, I mean, watch uh, Apocalypse Now. Watch The Godfather. Watch. We love you, Bobby. Uh, Robert Duvall's phenomenal. Um, but anyway, yeah, Molina in Love is Strange. Lithgow's fantastic too. Lithgow is more of the lead. Molina is in less incredible. of the movie. Um, but I think within that context, the scene where he gets fired is heart wrenching. And he's really just trying to like argue the facts against a priest, which like you're sort of up against like the intractable wall of religion there. And it doesn't make sense. And you're never going to make it make sense. Um, the scenes with him. In Cheyenne Jackson and his boyfriend's apartment are... I was going to say the scene with him and young Voldemort is... And young Voldemort. Exquisite. Wait, is that who that guy was? Yes. Get yes. out of here. I know. He played young Voldemort. Okay. Um, that's a fantastic scene where he's just like Molina. He has to explain the circumstances of what his life is now to a stranger who 
he might fuck. Um, That's also one of my favorite things about this movie is the the plausible the plausible existence of desire and and sexuality in this movie that doesn't put a put your finger on it so to speak Mm -hmm. um where like you can watch that scene and either read into it that george is attracted to this guy i think you can make a credible case from watching that scene that he is but you can certainly make a credible case that the guy is attracted to george it's all in the subtext and then later it's mentioned explicitly when he's at julius talking to uh talking to ben and ben sort of like raises a quizzical eyebrow at him and he's like are you jealous and he does say that he's george does say that he's always been faithful to ben and in a way that like it doesn't seem like he would need to lie because they are in a place of radical honesty with each other ben is incredibly they're monogamously yeah, Monaco mostly is a good point. Yeah, Ben has has mentions that he has in the past cheated on him, and George knows about this. And George is okay-ish with it. It sounds like George is the more committed to monogamy, mostly because that's what works for him. You know what I mean? And so I I don't really believe that George and this guy had sex, but I do believe that they were both very attracted to each other. And I do think that that's okay. I think this the guy is initially flirting with him. And that's, I think, where he was minded. And then learning about George's situation, he's like, "Uh, I'm about to leave the country. And uh, do you want to come see my apartment? By the way, it's only $1,400 a month. And, you know, it becomes more friendly transactional. They literally are standing in the bedroom Mm -hmm. together. And it's like... It's not even like the sexual tension has died. It hasn't. But it's, like, it's still there. It's, it's the discovery of like, is this still a possibility? Maybe, just because, maybe not. But like, we have a business transaction to talk about. Just first. because the sexiest thing in that scene is a fourteen hundred dollar a month uh, one bedroom apartment <laughs> in Manhattan. The, the low rent cost makes everyone, That's... including the audience, very horny. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And I also think it's fascinating how when uh, Ben is on the roof painting his painting with Vlad as his model, Vlad, who is 16, they mention it a bunch of times, who is also mentioned as looking older than he is, um, there is this unspoken but still alluded to idea of, should Ben be doing this because it just seems... Like there's there's these overtones of the like the artist and his underage muse, you know what I mean? And is is Ben does not seem at all like that is what Ben is not uh, at all. But yeah. there is but there is an atmosphere of it all around it. It's in it when Joey walks onto the the roof and is you know says so this is gay and it's like well he doesn't mean gay he means stupid and um it's in it when Marissa Tomei is like Go should off, you Duff. should you be real <laughs> but Marissa Tomei's character is even like should you be really you know uh, painting uh, Joey's friend is that really the most appropriate thing and none of it is explicitly homophobic but also it has this sort of like let's be honest you know, sort of sexuality is all around us kind of a thing. And the parents 
also unspoken, but I think the parents are also not quite sure whether their kid is gay and, like, what's up with their kid. And there's just a lot of uncertainty hanging in the air, and that contributes to the tension. That's what hap- That's what's happening in the house. I loved how all of that played unspoken because it knows its audience. This is what a movie with a small niche audience can get away with, is mm-hmm. they can trust that audience to, like... You know what's going on. You understand the like the cinematic language and the cultural language that's being spoken here. You don't need to know that like this old gay painter on the roof isn't going to raise some eyebrows with this, you know, 16 going on 22 <laughs> uh, skateboarding kid uh, painting him on the roof. Do you know what I mean? I love that. Right. I love the ambiguity of all of that. And there's a lot of ambiguity in this movie that, like, really works for it, I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else do we want to talk about? Want to talk about I Lithgow, mean, the most unlikely two-time Oscar nominee? In, uh... Back-to-back years. I would say even <clears throat> unlikely because the second nomination, which I think probably speaks to the way that uh, Lithgow's World According to Garp performance was perceived and like as a strong potential winner because i don't really watch terms of endearment and be like nominate lithgow no he's not the one that jumps out well sort of like run it down he gets nominated in 81 or 82 and 83 right yes in 82 he's nominated uh playing a trans woman in the world according to garp loses to lewis gossett jr also nominated against charles jerning for best little whorehouse in texas james mason in the verdict and robert preston and victor victor who do you give that award to of those five? Gossett. Do you give it to Gossett? I maybe give it to That's Robert Preston. That's not a Preston. movie that I like really kind of at all, but yeah. he is tremendous. He's very good. I have such affection for Robert Preston's character in Victor Victoria. That's where I should sure, come sure, down sure, on that. Sure, sure, sure. It's interesting that in 1982 you have, and of course like, you know, representation questions abound, but you have a category where two of the five characters are queer. Right. That's nice. Um, it's interesting that Durning is also nominated back to back years along with Lithgow. Like that's fun. Durning not nominated for Tootsie though. I know, so I know. Tootsie. I mean everyone's good in Tootsie. All right, and then um, so eighty three. Uh he's nominated for Terms of Endearment, also nominated against Jack Nicholson, who wins for Terms of Endearment, also nominated against Charles Durning again for To Be or Not To Be, Rip Torn for Cross Creek, and Sam Shepard for The Right Stuff. I saw Cross Creek, and I don't really remember very much about Rip Torn in that movie, so that's an interesting nomination. That was also Alfre Woodard's, to date, only Oscar nomination was for Cross Creek. Um, I give this to Nicholson of these nominees. Yeah. Like he he kind of blows I don't think everybody this is the off. Most the exciting team. lineup, but it's not. It's not. Um, I like Sam Shepard as an actor. I know he's primarily a playwright, but um, mm-hmm. I think he's an interesting actor. He makes for an interesting actor. Um, but yeah, among these five, I think Nicholson takes this. You know, running away. Um, but yeah. So and then Lithgow, of course, then goes on to win a bunch of Emmys for Third Rock from the Sun. He's the guy who sort of broke up the Kelsey Grammer streak of Kelsey Grammer when Frasier premiered, won like three Emmys in a row or two or, you know, two of in four years or something like that. Um, and then Lithgow comes along and is like, 
going toe to toe with uh, <laughs> Frasier. And it's so funny because like Frasier is a silly show. Frasier is, is like not this highfalutin show, but it's a show about a highfalutin man. So mm-hmm. it sometimes got interpreted as, Oh, like shit. Don't stink. Frasier, you know, is coming along and sweeping the Emmys every year. And like, you know, let's all put our pinkies up in the air and, and uh, watch Frasier. And yeah, it's a show that's more on the side of Frasier's dad. than yes, it is On Frasier's side. Like, but I think for people who didn't watch or who sort of resented the Emmy streak of the moment, which like, I get it. Nobody wants to see the same things win the Emmys every year and year and year. Right. right, Um, Got sort of annoyed with that and sort of painted Frasier in that way. So then here comes along John Lithgow playing like an alien in a human body. Like Third Rock from the Sun could not have been a more (laughs) goofy, silly show. Um, Honestly, go back and watch some Third Rock from the Sun. It's it's a funny show. Like it was. was But also between the third rock stage of his career and his Oscar nomination. He's playing a lot of villains. He pivoted to villains. Like evil villains. Cliffhanger. Uh, What's the one where he plays the twin... uh, Raising Cain, the De Palma movie that is very weird. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I had forgotten about that. Thank you for bringing that up. That's a very good point. He does go through this very sort of like he's going to play the bad guy in a lot of things. Um, Did you ever watch Dexter? No. He plays a villain, he plays a serial killer in Dexter, um, in what is sort of widely regarded as the best season of Dexter. I think it's also the last good season of Dexter. Um, And he sort of, he, you know, goes back to that villain role, and he is terrifying. He plays this sort of, like, nice genteel family man on the surface he's got a wife and a teenage kid and he's upstanding and he's totally nice and then he's like this super sadistic methodical sociopathic serial killer who dexter has to eventually uh get rid of and um it's a really good performance it did it i i believe i was recapping Dexter in some form or another for I'm pretty sure television without pity back then. Um, And so I had to, I like, I watched that whole season and wrote about that whole season. And that's one of those where like you got to the end. This was sort of a thing with television without pity too, because our recaps were very long form. And so you just spent a lot of time with these shows. I said, this happened to me with boardwalk empire where you just sort of, you spend a lot of time with these shows and you get to the end of a season of Dexter and it's like, I'm good. (laughs) you know what i mean like i am sated i i I don't need any more of this show and that's sort of where i got to um at the end of that season it was intense it was very intense but he's really really good in that and like he plays really good villains like there is something Mm -hmm. he's he's such a versatile actor he can play like the goofiest person and also like really terrifying and then like a lot of the notes in between and little men is or not Little Men, uh, Love is Strange is one of those notes in between. I just watched Interstellar recently, and that's another one where he's, you know, he's just the the grandfather, but in, in that role as the grandfather, he communicates a lot in, you know, he's not entirely happy with Matthew McConaughey's decision to go to space. He's, you know, he's a little... Uh, 
fed up with some certain things. When Michael Caine shows up as the, you know, professor, there's a little bit of like grandfatherly rivalry there mm-hmm. um, with Murph, young Murph in the middle, of course. Um, <laughs> Murph! Um, watching Interstellar again, we were not exaggerating. There's a lot. Murph gets There's said a, lot just a lot of wailing the word Murph. A lot of Murph. Um, Chalamet playing the kid, the the young son in that is. Uh, I I knew that young I, Casey Affleck is on the screen. He's the younger version of Casey Affleck. Yeah, yeah but yeah, Casey yeah. Affleck's barely in it, right? No, no, because like at the end, he's like gonna like. Interstellar's a long movie. There's a lot of Interstellar. So, so like, everybody who's even in it a little bit is in it more than you think. Like, uh, John Lithgow, that's the case. Casey Affleck, uh, Topher Grace, Matt Damon. Like, Bill all these Irwin. people. Oh, Bill Irwin is so good. Oh, my God. As um, a robot. Poor Wes Bentley gets washed out to his death on the wave planet. Um, it's a good movie. It's a really <laughs> fucking good movie. I love Interstellar. Um, anyway. So, Lithgow... Lithgow goes back to villains a little bit though but like not you know evil psychopath well i mean yes but um it's still a different flavor because there's good and there's bad we've talked about beatriz at dinner i think he's tremendous 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 and uh nomination worthy in that movie i think we were all kind of bracing ahead of bombshell for him to be nominated for playing roger ailes and that never really took off unless blessedly like, so globe nominated for no, no no he's not in that much of the movie but like ooh, yeah that one and came around the same time that russell crowe also did the showtime series where he played roger right. ailes and i think the parts of bombshell that got recognized were the parts that were not also in the showtime show so like yeah you know, Russell Crowe took a lot of the oxygen out of that conversation because he plays a much more omnipresent and grotesque version of Ailes. Whereas, like, Bombshell gets nominated for Megan Kelly, who isn't really a presence in the Showtime show, or the Margot Robbie character, who's like a fully, you know, composite, invented mm-hmm. character. So, Bombshell's still so bad. We talked, we, we dumped on it enough in 100 snubs, but I'm just saying, Bombshell's bad. <laughs> we didn't dunk on it enough. That's true. Um, yeah. Lithgow in this movie, though, I think is just so delicate and tremendous. Yeah, and... persnickety. He's a he's a he's a he's he reminded me kind of a little bit of my own grandfather. My grandparents lived in the flat above us, and um, my grandmother died when I was in college, and my grandfather lived for another. 12 or 13 years after that and sort of was um you know a lovely man but like has his old man peculiarities right you know what i mean as they all do and um lithgow's character reminded me a lot of that where you just sort of like will wander through a scene you know without a shirt on and making a coffee and whatever and just sort of just like <laughs> oh what like and and um sort of, you know, making himself at home. And of course, like he does live there. And um I don't know, there was a there there were ways in which he reminded me of my grandfather. My grandfather would um sit in his living room and watch for some reason he had HBO. I don't know why he had HBO. But he would watch Sex in the City at like full volume. Like full like where we could hear it 
downstairs. And... Same. We would have gotten along very well. <laughs> Probably so. Was your grandfather a Samantha or a Carrie or a Miranda or a Charlotte? I would have loved to have had that I never broached that conversation with my grandfather. <laughs> I don't think I ever really would have wanted to know more than I uh, knew. Um, he was a very, he was a very lovely man. Um, but he had his, he had his eccentricities and that's what, uh, Ben in this movie reminds me of. And mm. in that same way where like, we loved him and yet there are moments where you just sort of, there are frustrations and there are, you know, the utter, I mean, like he's, it's also very true that he is this like artist who, you know, moves at his own pace, basically yeah. in the utter lack of self-awareness too. That is mm-hmm. like, that's just who he is. He's not being an asshole, but it is very annoying. Mm-hmm. And you also see just like kind of a lack of annoyance on George's part too, which just makes their, you know, romance all the more touching because like they truly did find the people that can coexist together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then meanwhile, Marissa Tomei, what is her name? Kate, Kate and Elliot are not like going through marriage problems, but they're going through the sort of like normal tensions of Everyday a marriage life shit. where like they both have their careers that make them very busy they can't find a common afternoon to go see a movie together like it's like those little moments where it's just like oh right like which is like so that all is compounded by this like added extra pressure of you know uncle ben living with them and um doing little things like when they're telling Joey that he can't leave the dinner table until everybody's finished eating. And then Ben just sort of pops up and says like, Oh, it's fine. Like he can go. And it's like, that's not like, you're, it's that's not, not your call, they're man. Parenting their child. Right. Right. Like, right. Right. But it's, it's so like, he's not, he doesn't mean any, like I would maybe do the same thing because your instinct is just to be like, Oh, I don't, not on my account. Don't like, you know, don't let me hold anybody up. And yet like, it's all so uh, relatable. I'm gonna sneeze. Bless you, Diva. Bless you, Diva. Do I have it? What's really shocking is I haven't really sneezed on Mike much. I know. In the years of us doing this, and you know what it's like when I sneeze. Um, let me find a tissue very quickly. And Blow then... out my mic forever. <laughs> I'm a serial sneezer, so I will. Uh... Oh, that's gonna. I be was lovely. around my nephew yesterday, and I sneezed, and he just like looked at me after like two beats, and was like, "What's wrong with you? <laughs> How old is your nephew? <laughs> How old is he? His sister is ten. He <laughs> is going to turn, I think." Seven then? Wow. That's a little smart ass. I showed up and I got myself a milkshake yesterday. Yeah. Uh going over to my sister's new house because they just bought a house. And uh I text her, I was like, Do you or the kids want anything? Because I'm not just gonna selflessly show up with a milkshake to myself. And she was <laughs> like, Yes, they would love milkshakes for them. And like he comes flying out the door and he was like hi i'm so happy to see you blah blah blah. i was like did you come running out here because your mom told you i brought you a milkshake he said yep (laughs) i was like all right man come show me your house that's great um 
All right, let's jump back in. Yeah, let's jump back. So let's talk about the 2014 Sundance Film Festival. Um, yeah. Which is where Love is Strange debuts. Um, not like the most blockbuster spectacular Sundance Film Festival, but I jotted down some of the more interesting Fairly ones. Oscar-y, though. Whiplash premieres at that mm-hmm. uh, Sundance Film Festival, and that's definitely the one that, like, you know, lasts the longest, gets a Best Picture nomination, wins the Oscar for J.K. Simmons. That's definitely where the J.K. Simmons Oscar buzz started. Um, but then you get movies like Obvious Child, which was a pretty big thing at that festival, Dear White People, um, the Skeleton Twins was at that Sundance, uh, Joe Swanberg's Happy Christmas, which starred Anna Kendrick and Melanie Linsky, which is one of my favorite of the Swanbergs. Um, there's that movie Kumiko the Treasure Hunter was a big deal. Mm-hmm. A Girl good Walks movie. Home at Night, which is a good movie. Um, uh, Listen Up, Philip. But yeah, an interesting crop of Sundance stuff that year. I ended up seeing Love is Strange at Tribeca that year. That's when I was still seeing Tribeca Film Festival movies, and that played Tribeca after it played Sundance. But already I was, you know, psyched to see it, of course, from the Sundance reaction. Anything else jump out to you from that Sundance? I would add John Michael McDonough's Calvary. Oh, He's yeah. the brother of Michael of Martin McDonough, right. but uh, a writer and filmmaker in his own right. Calvary is a really good movie with an incredible brendan gleason i haven't seen it but i i should i should uh, throw it on the list it's a, a it's a pretty dark movie but maybe my favorite brendan gleason performance nice nice wonderful um i also wanted to get into the original screenplay race of 2014 because that's where love is strange might have found a place had it not been. This is a lockstep original screenplay year. Like the same six movies were in contention for five spots all season, and like nothing really budged anything out of there. Uh, your eventual Oscar nomin- uh, Oscar nominees are Birdman, Boyhood, Foxcatcher, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Nightcrawler. So of those. Three are Best Picture nominees. Foxcatcher is not a Best Picture nominee, but is a Best Director nominee. It was the very first time Mm -hmm. since the expansion of Best Picture that a director had been a lone director. People didn't think it was possible that it would happen, that a film would be, you know... Because it was... 2014 was a nine... Or was it just eight Best Picture nominees? It was eight. It was eight. So ninth place at best was Foxcatcher, and yet... uh, uh, Bennett Miller made it into the top five for directors. It's fascinating. Um, and the Nightcrawler, which was not a Best Picture nominee, but which was uh, uh, gets this screenplay nomination. Um, the Globes go Birdman, Boyhood, because the Globes are combined. It's uh, mm-hmm. adapted and original. So it's originals were Birdman, Boyhood, Grand Budapest, add to that Gone Girl and Imitation Game. Um, the unnominated Gone Girl. <laughs> truly... I mean, we talked about that in 100 Snubs, too, but, like, that yes. uh, remains shocking and, and infuriating. BAFTA, original screenplay, Grand Budapest wins there. Grand Budapest won everything but the Globes and the Oscars. Like, Birdman wins mm-hmm. the Globes and the Oscars, but Grand Budapest had won everything leading up to that. And it's still kind of a upset that Birdman wins, even though Birdman is the Best Picture winner. Um, BAFTA it gave does it- remain shocking, though, I think, that Boyhood. I mean, it, it, the the boyhood love 
condensed around Patricia Arquette, which is not wrong. Right. But, you know, Linklater's achievement with it, which, like, that's not a movie that I wholeheartedly love. Um, but, like, Linklater's achievement wasn't really ever recognized. Well, and Link, Link, Boyhood... Didn't win, like, no. Writer's Guild, did, did it? Did Boyhood also premiere at that Sundance out of competition? Yes. Okay. It did. Yes. It did. Because um, I remember the buzz for that one started early. And the thing about Boyhood, and that movie went through, like, a lot of evolution in terms of opinion about it from right. the critical class. It still kind of is. <laughs> still kind of is. I think it's still tough to tell whether, like, do people, does Boyhood have a good reputation among, like, you know, cinephiles or not? I really love Boyhood. Um, it's an experiment of a movie. It's necessarily shaggy it's necessarily sort of calls attention to itself Linklater's an interesting figure though because he's somebody who was always you know known as this sort of writer director right where his movies were very um shaggy i guess or like a, a, a screenplay focused but in a very kind of like you know, it was the before movies, right? The before movies all have this kind of looseness to them that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is brought together. And I think has always been a little bit of an underrated director because his movies seem very wordy and very talky. You know, there's his movies tend to, you know, rely on conversations, at least his best ones. And, you know, people sort of forget the less talky ones are sort of like nobody thinks of school of rock as like a link letter movie they think of it as a jack black movie do you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. and so with boyhood the achievement is so directorial and so so self-consciously directorial because of the way that it's put together that the screenplay you're sort of allowed to like backseat the screenplay even though it's a talky movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's mostly yeah. Yeah. about conversation. The, the, so, like the most evident achievement is the, you know, the payoff of the artistic risk, you yeah. know, that yeah. he was able to bring it across the finish line and that it actually works. Yeah. Uh, I mean, though you could say the same for like the performances of Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke too, you know, they're playing these people yeah. over the course of a lifetime and you know it's interesting it's maybe easier to prescribe like an emotional feeling to those yeah. two performances than you are to what link later delivers yeah it's interesting that grand budapest hotel won every it won bafta writers guild new york critics la critics national critics national board of review do you know who they gave their screenplay award to you won't uh, guess it in a hundred years crunchy uh imitation game it's the lego movie they gave their screenplay award to the lego movie which is i did not even remember that one um off like (laughs) like double check like i'm so it so knocks me out that like i would like you to double check that for me but i'm pretty sure that that's what i found they had the nbr does original and adapted and so uh their original went to lego (laughs) they had to give warner brothers something because they never let warner brothers be (laughs) empty-handed My computer's being slow. Sorry, we can cut the dead air. Can yeah, we cool. also take just maybe instead of having dead air to cut, can we just lament for two seconds? Whatever the hell, IMDb, which keeps getting worse and worse, how IMDb has now not, they've just said, you know what the awards tab needs? 
More chaos. More chaos, Let's more just... confusion. I click on the wrong thing more chaos, than half the time. confusion, and buffoonery. Like, it's I... where you click. It's not alphabetized anymore. I have to scroll and scroll and scroll to find National Board of Fucking Review. I've said it before and I'll say it again. IMDb is primarily a reference site. It is a resource site. It's a is a it's a research site. It should primarily function for ease of research, and it does not at every turn. And every update gets worse and worse at that essential function, and it's so stupid. Uh, yes, they did give original screenplay to Lego Movie. Do you know what they gave their adapted screenplay to? Was it Gone Girl? No. It what? was inherent vice. They had to oh, fill boy. their Warner Brothers <laughs> slots. Anyway, though, but so back to Grand Budapest winning almost everything uh, leading up to uh, the the Oscars, um, which is also a movie that I think is more of a directorial. A I was just I about to love, say that, but more a directorial achievement than a screenwriting achievement. Even watching it again, I think I mentioned this when we were talking last week. Um, when I wrote my Wes Anderson ranking for Vulture. Uh, performance ranking, not movie ranking, but uh, watching Grand Budapest Hotel, a movie that had uh, alienated me a little bit the first time I saw it. And I had a much greater appreciation for it this time around. I think the themes of it really come together better for me. And I think watching these Anderson movies back to back to back, I think movies like Grand Budapest and French Dispatch, and Asteroid City, there's a lot more going on authorially with those movies than I think people, even who loved Grand Budapest Hotel, gave it credit for. Certainly that more than people gave French Dispatch credit for. French Dispatch ends so beautifully and is such a lovely testament and tribute to... Um, journalism like it like it, it sounds so corny but like it really it's it's no simpler than that and i think people who talk well, about asteroid city in that regard is like a tribute to the art form of acting <laughs> like, well it also is a, and the evolution it went through in like the mid-century yes you know, it is but on it, top of being a movie that's about like it to me that feels like it's his artist statement his most personal yes, movie i agree since like i mean i think people uh ascribe the family movies mm-hmm. of Wes Anderson to being like his most personal and like I don't feel like we know enough about him to know that but like the way that so much of this movie accesses grief and like that period of grief where you're like unwilling to move forward and yeah. you like don't know what to do it, this movie accesses so much of that. It's so clearly a movie that was written during the pandemic, but in the best way, in a way that like everybody else, you know, makes something crunchy. He makes something that in 20 years, maybe people won't recognize it as such. But. Asteroid City is the movie where he essentially like makes his defense for himself as a filmmaker too. Like it's, it's the movie that is most in conversation with his skeptics, I think. And in most movies where that's the case, that's annoying. And I think it's not an asteroid city. And I think asteroids, like Anderson repeatedly gets criticized for making these sort of beautiful detailed dioramas that ultimately are devoid of, emotion and i think just i think consistently that is a misapplied criticism 
And I think Asteroid City is the movie where he's like, yeah, I understand this is what you always say about me. And this is why this movie is going to, I'm going to try and make my case for this is why I tell stories the way I tell stories. And I think it's it's a wonderful statement uh, along those lines and very sort of elegantly put. And it's not defensive. It's not snippy. It's not like Ratatouille, a movie that's very good, but Ratatouille mm-hmm. ending with, you know, um, critics need to appreciate the fact that they can't create anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I just love it. But anyway, Grand Budapest Hotel even in appreciating it more the second time, it is far more of a directorial achievement than it is a screenplay achievement, even though those themes that I think really came through for me do exist there on the screenplay level. Um, It's interesting that that's how the Oscars and that's how the awards community finally decided they were going to, at long last, sort of welcome Wes Anderson Mm -hmm. into the fold is, um, is in this way. Although the Oscars certainly appreciated Grand Budapest as an aesthetic achievement because it gave it so many of those crafts awards. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. To pull it back to Love is Strange, yes, like in this conversation of like, is it a, a writing achievement or a directorial achievement? Love is Strange is so, is like, had this been nominated uh, and probably in screenplay, mm-hmm. it's like the quintessential type of thing that like the Oscars will award a screenplay for. But I do actually think it is a directorial achievement because like so much of like the the richness of character of these circumstances is on the page of this script mm-hmm. but like the emotional texture of this movie the like nuance that you see in these circumstances and character and like just the way that things play out the amount of things that we as an audience member are able to consider in both these characters and how they interact with each other mm-hmm. that's directing like i i mean i i say this as uh, an iris hack super fan but like yeah I I would consider this movie uh, among those type of uh, examples we just gave that were awarded for screenplay, but were you know yeah I mean, as I th- impactful as they are because of how they're directed. I think that's true. Although I do think that movies of this size and scope, right? Screenplay is ten tends to be where they fit in at the Oscars, which is why I sort of zeroed in on screenplay in this particular year. Uh, I think it's usually the tendency with the Oscars, especially in maybe the last 20 years, has been screenplay is four Best Picture nominees and then one for fun. You know, now do a silly mm-hmm. one. Um, and it's, you know, Bridesmaids in 2011 or um, what was this year's one? Um God, I'm so bad with the most recent Oscars. The most recent ones are always the most. It's the hardest ones. It's it's because it's not given enough time to sink into my subconscious. And like I think by the time the Oscar ceremony is over, we kind of want to like just wipe those movies from our brain for a bit too mm-hmm. because we're mm-hmm. sick of talking reset, about it. Reset, reset. Yeah, exactly. Um I guess Living was the well, and Glass Onion. Living and Glass Onion were sort of the the outliers for this for um for this past year. But anyway, um, in a 
in a different time with a different... Oh, that's the other thing. We need to talk about the Sony Classics lineup in 2014, yeah. which was banger after banger. Like, because Love is Strange they, never they, had a if, shot. If they weren't... I, I'm not sure what they would have. It, it This does, like, feel like if this had been a fall movie, you know, it would have had much more of a shot, you know, not being just an indie spirit sure. and Gotham nominee. But talk about the movies that Sony Classics had in the hopper for 2014, because it's really something else. It's it's pretty hefty because, I mean, they have two uh, foreign language feature contenders in Wild Tales and Leviathan. Which are both are nominated, there. right? Earlier in the year, they have Jim Jarmusch's Only Lovers Left Alive. Great movie. Great movie. Um, and then their fall. Talk about a Whiplash. sexy fucking movie, Only Lovers Left Alive. Like, holy I mean, fuck. Uh, shockingly, the only movie... Um, where Tilda Swinton drinks blood, though, I mean, <laughs> unless you count her home movies. Right. <laughs> um, the living legend, Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Um, their fall lineup, though, is Whiplash, Mr. Turner, Foxcatcher, and in a very quick turnaround, because they buy it at that Toronto Film Festival, Still Alice. So, they've got a lot going on. They have one Best Picture nominee. They have two acting winners. They have a lone director nominee in a in an era where people didn't think that that was possible, and they have a nominee in Dick Poop for Mr. Turner. So, like, truly, yeah, twenty fourteen gets nominations and quite possibly is sixth place in Best Actor for Timothy for Spall. Timothy Spall. Yeah, um, that's for a for a. Indie shingle like Sony Pictures Classics, which tends to, at least in my memory, tends to sort of latch onto one, maybe two uh, awards hopefuls in a year mm-hmm. and really like rides them. Like, and then has international feature. Right, 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 right. Too. Yes, yes. Um, this is a fucking stacked lineup. So like, no shame to Love is Strange for, you know, being on the bench of that, of that particular group of films because like it doesn't surprise me that whiplash would have gotten a, a bigger awards push than love is strange it's right. the reactions like, out of sundance were very sort of kinetic and very you know there was a mm-hmm. lot of energy coming out of that um they saw a a darth of uh best actress contenders and really made the move on still alice they worked their asses off to get that fox catcher uh, those fox catcher nominations so after Foxcatcher having like a somewhat tumultuous post-production life, almost being released, it was scheduled to be released the previous year from Sony, not Sony Classics, from Sony. Right. And uh, and every you know, festival it, it showed up at was wrangling. this like combination of oh, what a well-done movie and Oh, like it's not that exciting. You know what I mean? Like I I'm I like Foxcatcher. We got to get Katie Rich on to and the two of you can bully <laughs> me about really Foxcatcher. Fox I don't hate Foxcatcher. I just think it's less than what it could have been. And I don't like It's Steve a movie Carell. that to me you can tell they had a hard time in the edit room and then at one point it was a 4 hour long movie. Yeah. You can tell, yeah. especially like towards the end of the movie where it's like we got to get this and this and yeah. when like Sienna Miller doesn't have a word uh-huh. that she says on screen but she's on screen. Like, I love Ruffalo. They left out a lot. I love Ruffalo. I love Channing Tatum. I don't like the Steve Carell performance. I think it sort of is a is a little bit of a black hole at the center of the movie, unfortunately. I think he's fine. I I mean, again, I feel like I said this in a hundred snubs, is that I 
I feel less generous that he's the Oscar nominee instead of Channing Tatum. Yeah, I get from that. that. But I, I think that. he's fine. But Sony, you're right. Sony Classics usually is like putting their entire apparatus into getting Isabelle Huppert nominated for L. They're putting their entire apparatus at getting a more, not just a foreign language Oscar, but getting nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. You know, they tend to center their efforts in one way. I think this fall is going to be interesting to see what kind of bubbles up. I wonder if their whole apparatus might go towards Strathairn in A Little Prayer. I'd love it. I mean, he's great. I think Jane Levy is even better in that movie. Every time I um, praise Strathairn in that movie, you are obli- you obligate yourself to mention Jane Levy, which is very funny. No one's going to talk about her. They're Everybody fucking about talks about her. Every time I try to talk about David Strathairn, somebody's like, Jane Levy's so good. It's like, yeah. Fine. Let's talk about the best performance in the movie, which is David. Well, then they need to do their job. Like <laughs> critics tried to do their job uh, with Love is Strange. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It's like it was if it was, you know, to the extent that it was kept in the conversation throughout the end of the year, it, you know, relied on a lot of critic support. Yeah. Can we talk about the one major award that Love is Strange did win? Uh, truly a major precursor. It won Best Grown-Up Love Story. No argument here. At the uh, Movies for Grown-Ups Awards. The the Best Grown-Up Love Story, truly the best kiss of the uh, Movies for Grown-Ups <laughs> Awards, where uh, best kiss is the only category at the uh, video or the MTV Movie Awards that truly matters. And I think in for the M4Gs, uh, Grown-Up Love Story sort of uh, rises above all of them only three nominees this year but love is strange gets uh gets the title for well deserved like this is a film you talk about oscar bait this is best grown-up love story m for g's bait uh right, right love is strange um other nominees were still alice for julianne moore and alec baldwin which i support i think they're both very good and that is a complicated love story there um and then The Love Punch, which is a movie I have not seen or maybe don't remember at all. I remember that as being like a TIFF gala that bombed. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Emma Thompson, Pierce Brosnan, The Love Punch. I'm just going to describe the poster, as I sometimes enjoy to do, which is a kind of three-panel thing where Brosnan is on the leftmost panel, with like has just walked out of the botox salon like cannot raise like his eyes are almost closed in that like he's so the there there is just no nerve endings that are able to lift his well i mean pierce brosnan is you know the originator of the sexy squint Sure. I don't even think this is a squint, though. I genuinely think, like, this is the top of his face just being, like, unable to be supported by the dead nerve endings that exist now in the middle part of his face. Um, so mean. It's, I, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is a thing that exists. You understand what I'm talking about. I'm getting joy out of uh, ribbing you. And then okay. on the rightmost panel, 
Emma Thompson, sunglasses down to the tip of her nose, eyeballs facing leftward, like she is side eye personified. And then the middle is the middle panel is uh, all the particulars. Pierce Brosnan, four people above the title: Pierce Brosnan, Emma Thompson, Timothy Spall, Celia Imry. Good for Celia Imry. The tagline: You can't pinch a diamond without stealing a few hearts. B minus. How do we grade that tagline? I'm confused. C plus? You can't pinch a diamond makes me think that the movie's about a fart. <laughs> or something like that. Like, you know, Is that a euphemism for farting? Pinching a diamond? I don't know. Something. I'm pinching a diamond over here. Um, <laughs> that what, do, what ingredients besides blue curacao do you think go into the love punch <laughs> blue curacao is a good uh is <laughs> where where was i i was at a christmas party one time and we made a drink that was like blue curacao vodka and something else and you hypnotic well you tasted it <laughs> And it like disappeared from your mouth, like it, it, like it, like you took a sip, and it's like it was like absolutely. It tasted like nothing at all. It tasted like pure Not even water flavor, like nothing. It was like it was just gone from your mouth from the second you tasted it. It was bizarre. Um, we it was we stumbled into alchemy. Are you I don't sure know. this wasn't battery acid? <laughs> what is, what's happening? No battery acid. I imagine would uh, would would pack a punch, uh, a love punch, if you will. Yeah, love punch. Blue yeah. curacao pineapple juice um there's gonna be a uh, strawberry vodka oh yes yeah one of those really sort of like like whipped cream flavored vodka or something like something that's like awful very sweet yeah i don't think i would want it i don't think i'd want love punch um yeah emma thompson doing spawn con for uh love punch mix just add vodka Love punch like mocktails, right? That, uh, um, what is the thing on Drag Race where they're talking about like cocktails and mocktails? Provide? Oh, it's in the the House of Love or something. No, it's the uh, Untucked. It's like they'll go back uh, backstage to enjoy cocktails and mocktails from whatever, whatever, and like it just reminds me that like I'm very much in favor of people living a non-alcoholic life. But let's find a better word than mocktail, because it just sounds... It sounds juvenile. Juvenile and childish. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. All right. Any last thoughts before we move on to the IMDb game? I love this movie. I do, too. I love Ira Sachs's movies. I do, too. Sea Passages. Yes. Great movie. Great performances. Yes. Um... Don't see it with uh, your mother or someone you no. might be embarrassed to see um, 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 anatomy with. Yeah, you do see a lot of anatomy. Uh, Franz Rogowski, FYC, best actor, twenty twenty three. He's he's tremendous. He's very very good. For as much Incredible. as I hate his character, Hilarious. I cannot deny it. He's uh, he's great. All right. Listen, if you appreciate the cinema of men in a slutty meshy top. As a character-defining trait. Sure. Uh, go see Passages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah, a Slutty Meshy Top is a s- supporting character in this movie. Like, that's uh, should get a campaign of its own. Best costume design for the Meshy Top. Mwah. All right. 
Uh, let's move into the IMDb game then. Yeah. Would you like to explain the IMDb game? Uh, yeah. And as much as every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for, if any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get to the remaining titles release years as a clue. And if that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. Sure is. Do you want to give her guess first? Oh, why don't I guess first? Cool. Um, okay, so for you, I went into the Ira Sachs catalog of films and his ensemble members, and I went to Married Life, a movie that is probably his most, like, has the veneer of Hollywood polish on it, maybe more so than the rest, and has, like, stars stars in it um remember thinking this is better than uh it's gotten credit for and has a great chris cooper performance don't remember much about it though Mm -hmm. um but also in the cast is patricia clarkson and for you i have chosen patty patty c one of my faves okay um no uh, television. The, the thing about Patricia Clarkson, of course, is that she's been doing this for a lot longer than you think she has. And she's in a lot of things. She's in small movies with lead roles and she's in big movies with supporting roles, which is always a, a roller coaster. I'm going to say Shutter Island. Correct. All right. Uh, she lives in a cave and dances around a fire. <laughs> she is maybe not real. She's maybe not real. Spoiler. Uh, pull yourself together, Teddy. Um, She's credited as Rachel, too. Yeah, she is. Um, Pieces of April? Incorrect. Her Oscar nomination, not there. The station agent. The station agent. Good, good. Uh, IMDb The writing, performance she should have been nominated for. Writing history's wrongs. Yes, okay. Yes. So, I've got two. The Maze Runner? Also incorrect. So, you're going to get your years. Uh, The years are 1999 and 2002. Okay. 1999. Green Mile? The Green Mile, yes. (laughs) Her role in The Green Mile is... She's the warden's dying wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. One scene. O oh, two. See. Uh, is. Oh, uh, what's the. Um. Oh, fuck. What am I thinking of? Shoot. Um. Is all the real girls O2? Uh, I believe it's 03 or 04, right. but it's incorrect. Yeah, okay, okay. Oh, You're maybe thinking too hard about this. Oh, okay, so nothing too out of the I way. I definitely would have thought you would have gotten this before you got some of the others. Oh, it's Far From Heaven. It's Far From Heaven. Yeah, that's makes, that makes all the sense in the world. Yes, She's does. so sensational in that movie. She really like, is. Yeah. I, I, I didn't get the like critical support behind that performance initially when I was uh, young and probably too young to fully grasp the whole yeah. nuance of this movie. But like, she's so integral to yeah. the 
aspect of this movie that is we are going to make this in the language and in the style of a thing from the 50s but the perspective is modern so it's like you have to pick up on those cues and i think she is her performance is essential in pulling it off and she's brilliant brilliant i agree who do you have for me? So I followed down the rabbit hole of the Sundance lineup from 2014. One of the movies that I mentioned was The Skeleton Twins, uh, starring, uh, among others, Bill Hader. Good so movie. I'm going to give you Bill Hader, no television, one voice performance. <laughs> no television? No You're television. not Saturday Night Live. There's not Barry. Nope. Okay. No uh, television, yep. one voice performance. The voice performance is it's not um he's not in Despicable Me. No, he is in Despicable Me. Is it Despicable Me? Not Despicable Me. Um I won't give you hints yet because you haven't gotten to the hint stage, but uh, this is going to be embarrassing, but it chapter two is on there. Yes, it is. Stupid. Why would um, you guess chapter two over chapter one? I'm curious. Because he's not in chapter one. Is he not at all? No, it's just the kids. It's just the kids. That's right. That's right. I never saw chapter two because everybody. The said movie. That it the movie separates blows. them. The book has them overlapping. The movie right. separates them. That's right. Yes, it is chapter two. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, I maybe need to put a pin in the animated one. I'm going to guess the Skeleton Twins. Yes, correct. Okay. So we have two more. One wrong guess. One of them is animated. That's not... Oh, it's Jason Siegel that's in Despicable Me. Okay. Um. But I feel like it's one of the... No. It... Oh, Bill Hader. Bill Hader's... Uh, voice in Inside Out. Inside Out, correct. There we go. There yes. we go. All right. One more with only one strike. Train wreck? Train wreck, correct. There we go. There you go. Uh, like he's on the poster of three of those four. His character's on the poster of Inside Out. Um, only it, chapter two, he's not on the poster of, of those four. Yes, well done. I thought that would have been challenging. Thank so you. good job. Very good job. All right. I think that's our episode, but uh, for listeners who have been sticking around, maybe we should have teased this up ahead. Next week, episode 250. 250. Quarter Centennial. This had Oscar (laughs) buzz title. It is a big quarter millennial. Eh? Centennial is 100. Quarter. uh, We're a quarter of a thousand. Uh, We are only a quarter of a way to our thousandth episode. Uh wow, I um I'm very excited for this. Listeners should be excited because not only is it our, you know, annual 50 whatever episode, but we've uh, got some exciting news that we That's true. Sharing yes. Only in episode 250. Very exciting and, news. Uh, we'll have some fun uh games and uh fun movie to talk about and 
Join us next week. It'll be a time. It'll be a celebration for all. Another movie we both love. So if it's yeah. episode, if you like the episodes of movies that we love, uh, definitely come back. Join next us. Week. Uh, but that's our episode. If you want more this had Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You can also follow us on Twitter if it still exists at this had <laughs> or at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, and on Instagram at this had Oscar buzz. Joe, where can the listeners find you? Oh, they can find me on Twitter, asterisk, and letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And you can find me on the uh, cemetery that is Twitter, <laughs> uh, letterboxed, and Bluesky at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mavius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get those podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so please don't uh, make us the uncles that you're kicking out of your bedroom. <laughs> Put us in more bedrooms with a five-star review. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and 250 and some news Woo-hoo. tonight at 11.